0: Surfing around a little bit, I was reading uh, this week about uh, it was mission statements, and I happened to come across an article of some bizarre and strange mission statements that that different companies have, and and and, and um, there was one company that had like it was like a page and a half. There was their mission statement. Like, who who's going to read that? And uh, uh, you know Microsoft's original. Uh, anyone heard Microsoft's original mission statement? Uh, I think they kind of stole it from. FDR, but it was, it was uh, a computer on every desk. Nice, simple, straightforward, one sentence. Uh, of course, now that uh, they have a computer basically on every desk, they had to change it, and now it's like, um, it's like helping every company uh, to achieve something greater. And I assume that they mean every company other than Apple uh, to achieve something, uh, something better. But uh, every company has, actually no, Dell Computer, actually, Dell Computer does not have a mission statement. Uh, but, but most companies think that you're going to establish a company, you're going to have a mission statement, uh, something that summarizes what we as an organization, what, what we as a people uh, want to be. This is our, our job in life. This is, this is what we are going to accomplish, and this is our identity, and, and this is what we want all of our employees to, to, to have as their identity when, when, when going about their business. Um, this is what we're trying to accomplish as a group. Um, some of what we're going to read, because we're still in Isaiah, um, is going to be similar to last week. We're going to, so, so we're going to open up right to Isaiah chapter um, 25. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to begin there. Isaiah chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to kind of go into chapter 26 a little bit. It's okay, they're short chapters. Uh, twenty five one he says, O oh Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. You have made a city of ruin and fortified uh, a fortified city of ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt, and therefore the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, and a, a refuge from reform. From the storm, a shade from the heat for the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of the aliens as, as a heat in the dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a, a feast of wine and the lees, of uh, fat things full of marrow of well-refined wines on the leaves. And he will destroy his mountain on this mountain. Wait, my eyes, I'm going to need to get them checked. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread before all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces, the rebuke of his people. And he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. For it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord, and we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For on the mountain, on this mountain, the hand of the Lord will rest. And Moab shall be trampled down under him, as straws trampled down for the refuse heap. And he will spread out his hands in the middle of them, like a swimmer who reaches out to swim. And he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their own hands. In the fortress of the high fort of your walls, he will... Bring down and lay low, and he will bring to the ground, down to the dust. And in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and for bulwarks. Open the gates, so that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. In Yahweh, the Lord, is everything and has everlasting strength. He brings down those who dwell on high in the lofty city. He lays it low, he lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust, and the foot shall tread it down the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is upright. O most upright, you weigh the paths of the just. Yet in the way of your judgment, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night, Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. We have a mission statement here. I know it doesn 't sound like it, but there we 're going to see some things some things that are similar uh, to last week, and we get this um in verse 2, if we back up to chapter 25, verse 2, we get a, a past tense, future tense kind of thing. He says, You have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more, and it will never be rebuilt. And it seems as though he talks about this, that it's already happened. Of course, it hasn't happened. Uh, Jerusalem is still about 100 years away, or, or uh, somewhere in that, general 70 to 100 years away from being destroyed. And... and, and Babylon. if he's talking about Babylon, because Jerusalem was rebuilt, so I I must assume that he's talking about Babylon. Well, that's then another 70 years after that. So he's talking about something about 150 years in the future, and yet he talks about it in the past tense. Tense is a funny thing, Um, especially when we're talking about poetry. I learned, uh, and I speak English, so I don't know anything about it, Uh, I learned when I went over to Ukraine that English has, I believe, 44 tenses. I know that's what my translator said. So you had to study grammar to be able to speak it. I I just grew up speaking, so I'm like, I'm dumb. I don't know what English, how many tenses English has. Uh, Russian has, fortunately, three tenses, and and that's pretty pretty easy. I could handle that. Um, They don't have complex structures. So if I wanted to, I would do this every once in a while for my translator. I would, I would put in, into my, my sermon I would have a sentence that would be something like um, by this time next week I will have done it they, that blows their mind they can't, they, can't, they can't say that in Russian it doesn't exist that, that type of a structure doesn't and it would be funny to watch them try to, to do that um, but, but that tense is, is really interesting and, and God tenses mean nothing to him past tense, future tense what, what is it to God? When he says, uh, when he predicts something is going to happen, it's not because he's guessing what's going to happen. He's not thinking, well, I think there's a good chance this will happen. And he's not like Vegas setting the line for, for you know, I, th- I think there's a really strong chance that whatever the horse is is going to win the triple crown or whatever. No, when God announces that this is going to happen, it's because, because to God it already has happened. And so he might be speaking of Nineveh. I don't know. This is kind of in the portion where he's talking about Assyria. So maybe he's talking about Assyria and Nineveh, or maybe by Babylon. I don't know exactly. But he's speaking of the downfall of an enemy, and that is going to be complete and total, and it's definite. <coughs> And so, in light of that, he's giving a mission statement. because This is going to be destroyed. And There's something that's coming after. We talked about that before. He gives you the, the bad news and the good news. And, and there's good news coming. 26.1. I want to look at something. This is kind of interesting. He says, in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. And actually, according to a lot of... Um, Things I read that this was actually a song that they, they learned and sung on the way back from Babylon as they're, they're coming back. And most of these people are coming back, have never seen Jerusalem. They, they were born and raised in, in Babylon. They're coming back and they're excited for the good news, for, for all the stuff that's going to start happening. And so the, they're singing these songs and, and have no idea really what they're singing. The, the, this stuff in chapter 25 and 26 is really. About you and me. This is a a mission statement of of Christ and the church. He says, on this mountain. On this mountain, these things are going to happen. Of course, he's talking about Zion. As they're approaching Jerusalem, and, and, and we've talked about how they came to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden... It doesn't look quite like what they pictured. I thought this was a great city and it's destroyed. It's completely like the Bible says it's like like someone scraped across this hill. Not what we had in mind, but God says, on this mountain I'm going to do all this great stuff. Zion. What Christ was going to do when he gives his mission statement and it is a great thing for... Not just for Christ, but for us to understand what the mission of Christ is and, and to emulate that because it comes from the top down. It's not just the mission statement for the, for the CEO. But the mission statement is something that the whole organization wants to accomplish as one group. It's what God ultimately wants. And so we're going to look at a couple of things here. So we go to chapter 25. one want to Reread verses 4 through It says, you have been a strength to the poor, and the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Some of this seems pretty straightforward. Maybe some of it's a, a little bit vague. We, I refer you back to where we talked about poetry. It says, you will reduce the, reduce the noise of aliens as in a dry place, as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud, and the song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines in the leaves, of fat things, full of marrow, of well-refined wines in the leaves. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever as the Lord God shall wipe away tears from all faces and the rebuke of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. The mission statement is pretty simple. It is a mission of mercy. Strength and poor to the needy. And as we look at all these things, we clearly see the picture of the things that Christ did. We can look at all the items in this list and find what Christ did. He was, you just look at who Jesus spent time with. You also look through these statements, and you will find numerous references in the New Testament and specifically in the Gospels. We can look at, at phrases that are, are similar, either direct quotes or very similar. We talk about the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth, right? God did not, Christ did not really spend a lot of time who hid behind their self sufficiency. He didn't have time for that. He didn't avoid them, necessarily. But he devoted his time to the people who couldn't hide behind their own abilities and their own wealth and their own whatever. He spent time with people who knew that they couldn't help themselves. He says... He talks about another part of his mission statement. He's a refuge from the storm, when things feel like they are about to overwhelm. That's what a storm is, this beating wind. And rain. When things feel like they are too much. But you don't have to be alone. Alone, they would be too much. But Christ says no I'm, I've got a mission, and it is to be something strong for people who are in this in this situation, a situation that would normally destroy them. he talks about a shade from the heat, well that's a completely different situation that's not like a storm. A storm is a, a quick thing, a, a sudden tragedy, a, a something major earth shattering that it comes up and it would it's just not prepared for it. Oh, but heat is different. Yesterday, I cut down a tree. My neighbor didn't like it. Um, took a while in the heat, and uh, I had to interrupt it to to go pick up the kids from the Y. I got back, and, and all the all, they were all out there looking at the tree. Which, sadly enough, um, for some reason, whoever planted this tree didn't take care of it or didn't cut it down. It's just a, a overgrown buckthorn and and it decided to grow north. I don't know why this tree decided to grow north. Most trees grow towards the sun, which would be the other direction. But it decided to grow north, right over my neighbor's property. It's almost dead, and it was leaning right towards their garage. So we took it down, uh, my, my neighbors and I, and almost, uh, almost put a tree trunk through my head. Uh, but I'm here. And, uh, <laughs> and they didn't like this, this tree being down. And, and It took a long time. It took a long time and, and finally got it, got it off of their property. and Heat and time and, and difficulties. And there's just some things in life that take a long time and it wears you down. Little by little by little. It's not something major all at once, but it's just something you deal with all the time. Beats you down. And God says, I'm here for that too. Christ says, I'm here for those people too. They don't have an earth-shattering thing, but it's just something that's constant. I am a shade from the heat. He says something that we typically refer to as talking about heaven. But in the context of all of this, he's not talking about Heaven. He says that he will wipe away... Tears. Oh, don't we wait... For heaven. I can't wait for heaven. And the Bible talks about no more tears. I can't think of a situation where there will be no more tears. Here, so this must be talking about heaven. But no. He's not. He's talking about here. Not that we're not going to have any sadness... But there is a concept that Christ came to wipe away tears. That, that Christ gave not necessarily meaning, because that, that's a dangerous thing to say. Uh, sometimes when we, we're grieving, we, we look for why God did this, and, and why God made this happen. And that's not necessarily what I mean, because that's, that's, sometimes things just happen because that's a part of life. But to give it context. Christ gives us context to suffering. I might not understand why this thing happened. There might not be a why to why this happened. But yet within the context of life, I can understand that, that this is not the final thing that's going to happen. And I get some context. The other thing about Christ is, is that being in Christ also gives me access to a support group. I have a built-in support group. And it eases those things. We refer back again to, to the statement, Christ says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That I don't have to wait so many times, people think that they have to wait until heaven for things to get better, and you don't. Part of Christ's mission was to make things better here. He wipes away tears here. He talks about removing the darkness. He will remove the darkness. What leads to most of the problems that we've talked about, whether it be the tragedies of our lives, not just the natural things that come, but, but so many of the tragedies and so many of the, the problems that we suffer, oh, oh, so many of them have to do with darkness. And a lot of it has to do with things that we create for ourselves and, 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 and things that other people create for themselves. So many of the things that you, you, you encounter are things that, that people have done to, to hurt themselves. We all have a self-preservation. This goal to take care of Something's wrong. And we have this instinct to take care of it. Children have it. We all know to <clears throat> take care of number one. The problem is, is that we don't know how to do it. Children have this. All right. So if you have a kid that's suffering something, he will find out a way to deal with it. It might be a boy. He might just go along to get along. I'm under stress. What's the natural conclusion? This person wants me to do this thing. I want to avoid the negative circumstances, so he'll find a way not to endure the stress. Do we all have natural preservation instincts? And we grow up with these. And if we're not taught how to deal with the things the right way, we'll figure out another way to deal with it. And so many times the things that we find to deal with the problem, they might move it, or avoid it, or shift, whatever the thing is, so many of those things cause us harm down the road. We learned some of these from other people. Some people observed that... their parents or other people they knew... they had this problem and they self-medicated with alcohol. Seems like it worked for them. That's their example. That's what they'll do. It's a self-preservation thing. So many of these things... I will avoid. Use escape means. And it all has to do with darkness. It all has to do with people not knowing how to deal the right way. And God says, I've come to change that. Christ said, I've come to help you deal with things the right way. So we can get rid of these these means that have, have hurt you for so long. And of course, the last one. Verse 8 he says he'll swallow up death forever. Christ came to swallow up death. Remember the whole context of here is verse 6 in this mountain. In this mountain I will do these things. In Zion, I will swallow up death in Zion. Does he conquer death in Hades? <laughs> We have freedom from death. A source of our problems is shame and guilt. And God offered an opportunity to be free of shame and guilt. To make a permanent solution, to make a correct solution. Something that's effective something that doesn't have consequences down the road so I want to talk then about the scope of these benefits the scope of this mission statement verse 12 of chapter 26 it says Lord you will establish peace for us now us back then he was the Jew they they were excited to have it for them God's people we're God's people And so they had the idea as they heard this this is acceptable. It was for a very limited group. That group happened to be them, so that's good. You always want to be in the in group. I never was in the in group. And the in group has special rules, and they have rules to make sure that the things stay for them. And, and uh, there's a, one, one person I, I, saw, I saw, I think there's a poster that says, uh, Oligarchy, it's a small group, and you ain't part of it. They like to keep that pretty exclusive, don't they? And and so so it was was nice. It's for us. You will establish peace for us. Well, it was for them. But um, there's some other references in here. Go through and read through these chapters and notice how many references there are to all people. Well, that's, that's not us. That's all people. All nations. God had a, a much bigger view in mind of who the scope was for. It was for all people. There was no limit. And You hear people, well, I, it couldn't be to me Whether it's a person who, whose past is too bad, or it's a person who, who thinks that, well, I, I couldn't change now, I'm too old now, I couldn't change." And, and sometimes we think, well, I mean they'll never accept it. I moved over to Ukraine, and, and before we moved over there, um, they had, uh, another preacher had, had done um, Bible studies with, with a bunch of Bible, uh, or not Bible college, with a bunch of college students, English-speaking students. And we got over there, and, and so he handed us a list of, these are the list of names. And uh, one of them was my translator. Uh, there was another girl, uh, Natasha. Um, and we met with them, and we had youth group, and just did English stuff, and kind of mixed in some Bible stuff, and, and just trying to work from this list, and, and, and build a congregation. I said, Zhen is a month month or two months away. I mean, he was so wanting to learn. Everything was interesting. Natasha was Natasha. And I thought, she's like five or ten years away. She is, I mean, she was critical and she was, they got baptized on the same day. Pretty interesting. They're also born on the same day. Um, Their their mothers knew each other. It's kind of a weird, weird thing. We can look at people and think we know oh, this person will never get it or that person that they're so close. And you just have no idea. I could never do that. I could never change. I could never. They could never. But God made the offer for all because anybody has the opportunity. And, And we simply don't know. A person... Who's really critical might have all their criticisms answered and go, all right, I have no more criticisms. Chapter twenty-five, verse five is interesting. It says you will reduce the noise of aliens. No, nope. UFOs back then had uh, exhaust problems. I don't know what what does that mean? Reduce the noise of the aliens. Well, they were used to a lot of chatter from surrounding countries. That's who, that's, that was the problem they had. People who were critical. Didn't like it. And when Christ began his ministry, where did he go? That's where he went. He went to Galilee. He went farther north than that. He went east... And people started coming from there. And people who were really critical. All of a sudden like. This is kind of interesting. But it didn't stop there. Because, because Christ said, well. I've got some other stuff. I'm not taking care of this. You're going to take care of it. And he left some other people. And they, they went to Greece. And they went to India. And they went to Europe. And they went to Africa. And, and the noise of the, the aliens. Started, started not to be so much against. And it started to. Generate curiosity and interest. That's what he means. He reduced the noise and the anger. And we see as as time goes on that that nations that that continue to try to oppose suddenly stopped existing, or they became a part of it. We see, in 300 years later, we see Rome not just accepting it, but made Christianity the official religion of the country, of the empire. Reducing the noise. Not only is there not going to be any more persecution, but you're going to make it your official religion. it was for all people. There were some requirements along with the scope. In chapter 26, verse 2 and 3, it says, Open the gates that the righteous nation which will keep the truth can enter in. You will keep him from perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The righteous will enter in. Now, it doesn't mean that they were necessarily righteous before they entered, but the nation that wants to pursue righteousness has access to it. People who want... This, there's an entrance exam. It's available for anybody who is willing to have a change of worldview. And it is for those, he says, whose mind is stayed on you. Some people are only interested in the trial period. And if you don't like it, send it back and get your full refund. it's not one of those deals. The rewards come for those whose mind is stayed. Who's established and wants this to be a part of their lives. In verse 9, <clears throat> of chapter 26, it says, My soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, with my spirit with me, I will seek you early. You know, we have strange conversations. When your strange conversations happen, they happen at night. Yeah, very paranoid about things, right? You can worry about a lot of things at night. I don't know what it is about the night. There's probably some biological reason for it, some brain chemical at night or something, melatonin or someone's going to say something. But you ever have just really nervous about something, the next day you get up, the sun comes up, and you're like, yeah, that probably wasn't really so... Day comes and it's better. Like that was really bizarre. I don't know why I was worried about that. Things are better. We do that. We worry. We worry about things and not just worry, but sometimes we in our worry in, in, in dark moments we, we we're quick to turn to God because this is a really bad situation. Then the light comes, like, ah, I can handle this. I, this. This really wasn't as bad as I thought. And we reserve those dark moments for when we'll pursue God and when, when we'll be needing God the most, That's it, those dark moments. But Isaiah says, no, I'm going to seek you in the light too. When, when, when things seem good, that's not the time to abandon God. That's the time to continue to seek him. It's not just in the darkness that we need God, but it's in the light as well. And so we're going to conclude. I want to back up to verse 8. He says, he will swallow up death forever. I want to kind of go back over this a little bit. Because he says something really interesting. He says, behold, it will be said in that day, in verse 9, it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. This is a significant statement. We have waited for Him. This is the Lord. This is a declaration of Christ's deity. Here's the Messiah. It says, He is God. Here is God. It was Christ's on earth, and there's people that to try to deny that concept. They don't, they don't want to accept Christ as God. That Christ is really important. Christ is as wise teacher. Christ as as important philosopher, or, or even a prophet. And then there's all sorts of different levels of, of interpretations of, of what Christ was, and who Christ was. But Isaiah says, no. We will say, this is God. On this mountain. Here in Jerusalem, we will find a person who we'll say, He is God. We've been waiting for Him. Remember John said, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or do we look for another? That's the reference to this. They understood and were waiting for the Messiah God. It is what you've been waiting for. We didn't read this verse, but we're going to read it as we conclude. Verse 19 of chapter 26. He says, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of the plants, and the earth shall be cast out, shall cast out the dead. Almost the direct quote can be found in Romans chapter 6 buried to buried with him in death and rising to walk in a newness of life here's the scope of all of this the scope of all of this these benefits the mission all of it hinges on rising with Christ. All of that that went out from Zion comes from one concept, that Christ conquered death there, that we've got to get connected to that death. We've got to be willing to change personally, but be willing to see that it wasn't just for a small group of people here in this room. It was for a really large group of people that Christ came with this mission.